start by, no, I'm going to change that. I was going to start by introducing Peter, but first I want to thank you all for the blessing that you've been to us, not only financially, uh, but it's encouraging to know you're not all by yourself. Um, I wasn't even planning on saying this, but I think I should. I, was, uh, I left our, the, our Independent Baptist Mission Board that we were with over some differences uh, almost two years ago now. And it was, we, uh, this is a little bit unusual from our group, but we didn't even have a fight. We just agreed to disagree. And I was actually in Chicago leaving my sister's house on a way to a meeting with the head of the mission uh, board. And I was pretty certain the result was going to be that I was going to resign. And I was pretty certain that when I resigned, I would lose 100% of my support, which I did. But I got to tell you something. I don't know if I've even told Brother Capace this, but as I was driving to this meeting where I was pretty sure that I was going to lose all of my support and I wasn't exactly sure, I just figured, well, we'll just go back to China. I have tickets. We'll go back to China and just see what happens. And when we run out of money, we'll come home. If God doesn't keep us there, and God has kept us there, by the way. But I was, as I was driving, I've said this three or four times now, but uh, as I was driving, I get a, uh, a message from your pastor. He calls me and he says, I'm in Australia right now at a missions conference with Brother Bax. And I've just, I'm kind of rethinking our whole missions program, and I was thinking about you. And when I get back, I think I'm going to try and encourage our church to take you on for support. And I felt like God used that, even though, even if no support ever came through, I felt like that was God telling me, you're doing the right thing. And by the way, right now, I know that I've done the right thing. I have more joy and peace than I've ever had in my whole life, and the blessings of God have been upon our work. But I do, I do want to let you know, it's encouraging for us to have a home to come back to, basically. We have some, you, you've been a real blessing to our sons, and I really appreciate this church right here and your pastor and his wife. And now I want to introduce Peter, who is a good friend from over in China. I met Peter and his wife 10 years ago when they landed in Jilin, China. And they were pretty much one year out of college. One year out of college, I think they got married right after they got graduated, correct? And then they had to stay in, in the States for a year to get used to being married before they came. That was the rule. And so they, they came and they landed in, uh, we picked you up in Changchun, right? And we went and picked them up in Changchun. They didn't have any kids at that time. They now have five kids. So we've been multiplying in China. Amen. And so uh, their kids call us grandma and grandpa. And he and his wife are like a son and daughter to us. And so I just, I know you don't, many of you don't even know me very well. But I just wanted to let you know that I wholeheartedly endorse Peter Hamilton. And he's a great guy. And when, when, when he, after he was with, working with us in Jilin for about three to six months, I don't remember the exact time frame, but I let the, man, the people know back in the States, I said, you know, I know we're wanting to eventually expand around the country, and I really believe that this is somebody that, you know, I don't really want to get rid of him, but this is somebody who I think one day God will use to go on to other places. And actually, the first move he made was when we were up in northeast China in Jilin, um, we had an opportunity to spread out into South China in Wenzhou. And so I asked Peter and his wife if they would go down to Wenzhou and lead two more families who would be coming from the States to start the work in Wenzhou. And that's where a year later we ended up following them down there. And so we've been working with Peter for five, over five years in, in Wenzhou now. But now God has laid it on his heart to go out once again to another city two hours away from us in Hangzhou. And he's going to be doing a work there. And so we're behind him. He's going out of our church. We're supporting him. And I just wanted to let you know you're going to hear a great guy. He preached a great message in chapel today, too. And so, Peter, why don't you come up, up here, tell us a little more, and show us the, the video. 
That means a lot. The Connors are, are just our just parents away from home. Uh, I'm not supposed to cry up here, am I? Sorry about that. Uh, they, they mean a lot to us. They're family and they're boys. They're, they're good people. Apologize. We, I just ruined the whole moment. Man, <laughs> I ruined it all. <laughs> We are, we are glad to be here. We are just thrilled. My wife and I, we, we go home every evening just blessed and encouraged and talking about you people, talking about the people we meet, the people that we have dinner with, the people we get to fellowship with, and, and it's just been a blessing to be here these, these few days, and I'm looking forward to the next couple. Uh, we have, my wife and I, like Dr. Connor said, been in China for 10 years. We celebrated our first anniversary in China, and we have, uh, it's not too busy there. So we have five children, all born in China. And they are all, uh, they, they, they speak Chinese just as good or better than we do. That's embarrassing to say, but they do a really good job Chinese. And we are thankful. I'm so sad you couldn't get to meet the older ones. They're up in the, uh, with my grandparents right now, uh, staying with them for while we came down on this quick trip and to go back. Uh, but we're happy to be here. And I, I'm going to show you a video in a minute about our work in China. And really, most of it is, is from the last six years in Wenzhou and Every, every, it's so hard to take, you know, 10 years of, of, of our life in China, put it into a five-minute video, and let you understand what's going on. Uh, every face is a picture. Every face is a story. Every face is a, is a life that, that means a lot to us. Um, this past uh, year, God has been really working in our hearts and working through some transition time with us. And as we uh, were... Just, we just packed up everything in Wenzhou. Like Dr. Connor mentioned, we're moving to a new city when we get back to China. And uh, the, some friends there hosted a party for us as we were leaving. And it was kind of a surprise to us. We didn't really know much about what was going on. And there was over, probably over 200 people that showed up. And, and, and it was just an encouragement to us of just story after story and face after face and memory after memory of people that we love and people we invest in. And God has been good to us. We're looking forward to the next stage. Uh, God has provided. God will provide. God, God never, never cuts us short. He always is waiting for us, like this says here. It says, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. And he wants to see how much can you trust me? Can, you, can I go this far? Can I go this far? And that looks different in everybody's life. It doesn't always look the same. It doesn't always bring you to the same place. But the result is always the same. It's faith that God says, come a little ways. How far? How far can you go without borders? And we're excited about what God's doing. We're excited about where we've been and where God's going to bring us the next decade. Let me show you the video, and I appreciate it. Thank you. The last 70 years in China are similar in growth to the first 70 years after Christ's ascension in the book of Acts. Since 1949, under communist rule, the church in China has grown from about 1 million Christians to an estimated 100 million today. And by the year 2030, some say that number could be as high as 245 million. Think of it this way. Presently, at 100 million Christians, that is still only 7% of China. In addition, an estimated 13% of China is still considered completely unreached. 
That's almost 200 million that have never even heard the name of Christ, and a total of 1.3 billion unsaved in China. That's 17% of the world's population that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hello, my name is Peter Hamilton. God began working on my heart as a young person to follow him. In 2002, as a junior in Bible college, God put a desire in my heart to go to China as a missionary. I continued to follow his desire until graduation in 2006. Shortly afterward, Abby and I were married. Then one year later, in summer of 2007, we sold our things and moved to China to work as English teachers and serve with a team of missionaries in the Northeast China. It has now been 10 years since then, and we are overwhelmed with how God has taught us, used us, provided for us, and directed us. Hi, I'm Abby, and like Peter, I also had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. I was saved at a very young age, and I felt God's call to be a missionary when I was in sixth grade. I have learned in the past 10 years that when God calls, He will lead us, and He will provide for us, and He is faithful. It's reassuring to look back and see where and how God has brought us to the present. I'm excited to see what God will do for us in the future. China has become more than just a place we live and serve. It is our home. We are so thankful for the church family that God has given us in China. After 10 years of adjusting to the culture and language, I can't imagine not serving in China. The Chinese way of life is in our blood now. We enjoy teaching, praying, and fellowshipping in our weekly assemblies. In addition, I have had the opportunity to serve in many aspects of our English school. I have taught students from kindergarten to college age, worked as a teacher, English corner host, and school administrator. In 2013, I was able to take a trip to Yunnan, China, and the bordering country of Burma, and see the need of the not-so-developed parts of China. Since then, a burden of mine has been to equip the Chinese nationals to be able to go to these places that we can't go to. We love what God has taught us in this past decade and look forward to his leading in the future. Returning to China, we have a threefold vision of ministry. One, to disciple, equip, and send Chinese missionaries. The Chinese churches are not only rapidly growing, but they are now developing a vision to reach outside of China. We will join with some local mission outreaches to help prepare the missionaries to go. Two, to disciple local church families. Many people in the local house churches are reaching out to our family for help in their marriages, child rearing, and discipleship needs. We will use what God has taught us to encourage, challenge, and strengthen where God has given us influence. Three, to use leadership development and English to create outreach opportunities among local businesses, colleges, and schools. Leaders are lacking and we will seek to develop and disciple leaders who can learn to develop and disciple leaders. China is still an unknown land to many Americans. After arriving, you would quickly realize you are not at home anymore. There is no English besides a few poorly translated signs. No diversity, mostly everyone except you, is Chinese. The closest to home you'll feel is when you see a McDonald's or a KFC. Then, after looking at the menu, you'll feel like a foreigner again. The traffic will disturb you. The crowds will at times annoy you. The unending construction of apartment buildings will amaze you. The markets may disgust you. The temples will captivate your interest. 
The churches will excite you. Apartments open up to become meeting places for thousands all across the city. When entering one of our assemblies, you will find a loving family of friends who sing, laugh, love, pray, cry, and study together. They share the gospel and share their meals. They have sickness and worries just like you and me. There are multi-generational Christians studying next to brand new believers. You will notice the eagerness of their questions, the desire to learn and grow. And when you left, you would be a different person. I'm just going to tag onto that a little bit. Again, I wasn't planning on saying this, but I just want to give you an idea of our vision overall in China. Basically, it's not what we had in mind when we went to China. God has changed our mind and showed us what he wants to do instead of what we want to do. Uh, When we went there, our idea was we're going to go in and we're going to plant churches and basically pastor people and start our own churches. Um, and we, we do do that. To, we still do that. I mean, some of those pictures you saw were in my apartment um, where we have church services in our apartment and in other apartments of other, our team members. But God has moved us from northeast China, which is where we initially went, and just as opportunity arose, we moved down to Wenzhou, and we didn't even realize what we were moving to when God was moving us there. But the Chinese Christians call Wenzhou the Jerusalem of China because there's 2 million Christians in our city. At least 2 million professing Christians. And really, 2 million professing Christians there is more real Christians than 2 million professing Christians here. Uh, because, you know, it's, it's not beneficial to you to be a Christian there. And so you don't do that unless you really believe what you, what you say you believe. And so, um, and most of, those, most of those people are in house churches. But they're sending missionaries out. And this is exciting to me because it's to places that Americans can't really go very well. And that's into the Middle East and the Muslim countries. The Muslim countries love China because they're always against America. And so they welcome Chinese. Chinese are real popular in those countries, just like Americans are in some countries. And so they're, they're sending out missionaries. Now, Western China is Muslim. It used to be part of the Ottoman Empire. And if you look on a map from uh, Xinjiang province in China all the way across to what used to be Russia, all those Stan countries in there, those all used to be part of the Ottoman Empire. And the the Chinese in western China speak a a dialect of the languages that all those people speak. So we have Chinese Christians going to western China, reaching Muslims in western China, and sending them to reach their Muslim brothers in all those countries. And their goal is to go back through Turkey to Jerusalem. They want to bring the gospel. They said the gospel started at Jerusalem, headed west, went into Europe, and it it came to America. Now it's back in Asia, and they want to send it around the rest of the world uh, because we believe that the gospel needs to be preached to everybody before Jesus comes back. But that's just to give you an idea. So our vision is basically equipping and training those leaders. God is already planning tons of churches, but they're they're growing so fast they don't have leadership. So we believe God has placed us there. Like I said, we still want to personally win people to Christ, but our main goal is discipling and training healthy families that can send people out. And so if something happens, because right now I will say the atmosphere in China has totally changed. The new leadership in China is grabbing control and shutting things down. Businesses, churches, they tore down 163 churches last year, I think, right, in our province in China. Um, But those are church buildings that, honestly, they're government churches that were torn down. And it's not, the church is not dying in China because they're tearing down buildings. That just makes the church grow better and faster. And I don't have time to explain that. But, (laughs) I mean, it's, it's just the way it's always been since the time of Acts. And uh, so, but what I want to share is one more thing that's on my heart and kind of goes along with the sign, okay, along with the, the, the song that we were singing right beforehand here about, from Revelation that I think Brother Elson wrote, right? 
uh, and it's talking about the, pe- the people of every language and from every nation worshiping and praising God. And, I, you know, we've told you a lot about our work here, and we hope that kind of encourage you to, encourages you to be a part of it. I hope you want to become a part of Brother Jeremy's work and Brother Mike Bowie's work and whatever other works that I hope I, I'm probably overlooking somebody. But, um, you know, I, but the thing is, one thing that sometimes I think happens at missions conferences is sometimes, and it even bothers me sometimes, I don't, and by the way, I love this, the way this, this conference has been centered around Jesus Christ. And that's really what I want to take a talk to you about. Because if that's not the motivation, whatever you decide to do right, now, right here and right now in these few days is going to die. You know, if we show you pictures of starving children or people in need and we make you cry and you say, oh, those poor people, I got to give $100 a month, I got to give $100 a week or $5, whatever it is, I got to give to those people. You know what? One day you're going to feel more sorry for yourself than you do for them. And one day you might even take a mission trip and go over there and say, man, these people are dirty. And, you know, it's no wonder that they're starving. They're just, they're, they're really dumb about the way they're handling their lives. And, you know, I used to work in a bus ministry. And sometimes I could start to feel, you know, I worked with inner city kids. And sometimes I, I, I would start to feel like, well, yeah, of course they're living like this. Uh, look, at the, look at what they're doing to themselves. You know, they don't want to listen. And, and they, you know what? They deserve to go to hell. And you know what? So do you and I. We all deserve to go to hell. And, you know, the truth is, if you're doing it because they need it, you're going to quit doing it because they don't deserve it. Now, the only way you're going to keep on loving those people that don't deserve it is if you're full of the love of God. Because God loves those people just like he loved you and me. And I'm just going to show you a few verses real quickly right here. And I didn't write any notes down because I know I want to go quick, okay? And so if you would, just turn over to uh, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. And I just kind of want to give you a little bit of chapter 11 just as a background here. But in Hebrews chapter 11, you know that's the faith chapter. And I'm not going to read many verses here, but uh, this is where uh, whoever the author of Hebrews is, maybe Paul, maybe somebody we don't even know who it is. Um, But it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And then through the rest of the chapter, he goes on and gives us a number of examples of people of faith. And how they exercised their faith and how they had victory through faith and so on and so forth. Um. It says, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch was translated. It talks about Noah's faith, Abraham's faith, Sarah's faith, uh, Isaac's faith, Jacob's faith, Joseph's faith, Moses' faith, his parents' faith. Um, oh, let's see here. Uh, but it, it, and then it starts name, naming other unnamed people. It says, who through faith subdued kingdoms. I think we... I'm running, I'm running away from you, aren't I? Verse 32. And what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak. And by the way, the time would fail me, so I'm going to keep moving. And of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. You know, when I'm reading this, I'm like, yeah, I'm in. I want to stop the mouths of lions. I want victory. Quench the violence of fire. Escape the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. Wax valiant in fight. Turn to fight the armies of the aliens. Women receive their dead, raised to life again. Yeah! Whoa! I want to see that. 
But then the tone changes a little bit. And others were tortured. Ooh. Not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourging, shame, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. So I'm going to tell you, if you give by faith, I believe you're going to see some great victories. But I'm going to tell you, if you live by faith, you're going to have tons of trials too. Because you know what? If you don't have troubles and you don't know how to handle you don't need faith. If you're sure of everything and you don't have any problems, what do you need faith for? And you know what? I want you to live by faith though, because you know what? In spite of trials and troubles that I've had, I have never been happier in my whole life. But you know what? There's, some, there's one reason that these people continued on and they were tortured and continued on and they suffered and continued on and it's going to tell us about this in hebrews chapter 12 after listing all these people in human examples i mean i could tell you things like i I was starting to tell brother capacia before the church but before the service but i was um i used to be on the staff in longview texas at at a baptist church and we had lee robertson come in and we were in the conference room talking to lee robertson and lee robertson told our pastor he said you know our pastor asked him about, you know, how does faith promise work and how much do you give faith promise? He said, well, faith promise is above what our church gives. And Brother Grace said, what are you talking about? He said, our church gives 50% of our offerings to missions. And faith promise is what we give above that. But everything that comes in our plate, we just take 50% of it and give it to missions. And then what the people give to missions, we give to missions. But, you know, he had a 5,000-seat auditorium that was debt-free. He had a a college that was fairly good-sized, debt-free. I don't think that's a coincidence. Then we had Harold Seitler come in. And Harold Seitler came in from Missions Conference, and we were sitting at the conference table. Brother Grace started to ask him about faith promise. You know, he did the exact same thing. And he also had a church that was paid for. He also had a, a, a Bible institute or college that was paid for. So I could make these kind of promises to get you excited. Yeah, I'm going to give to God, so I'm going to have a debt-free house, and I'm going to drive a nice car, and that may or may not happen. But if that's your motivation, you're probably not going to keep on. And so even though this author of Hebrews has given us these examples of faith to encourage us to look to, because he even says in verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So he's given us all these examples for us to look to. He said, look, those people are all up there looking at you now. And he's using that as a motivator. But this is the key right here in verse 2. Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's who we trust in for our salvation. But salvation is not just a moment in time. Salvation is what you have forever. And we're being saved right now because we're being sanctified and set apart for God, getting prepared for heaven. And then we're going to be glorified one day and even more saved. But all that happens by faith. 
You're not only to get born again by faith, but you're to live by faith after that. Too many times we're like, you've got to trust Jesus and him alone and not any of your own works to get saved. And then after you do that and get baptized, it's like, now you've got to work real hard to please him. No, you grow in Christ the same way you went into Christ. Living by faith in Christ. And if you're not looking unto Jesus... If you're looking unto me or you're looking unto Peter or your pastor or Brother Jeremy or any other missionary so that you do your giving, that's a, those are okay as examples, but it won't keep up. Jesus is my motivation for staying in China. You know what? I, I grew up in Thailand for four years. I knew uh, my second sister is Thai. We adopted her in Thailand. And when God called me to China, I was kind of like, why not Thailand? I don't even know any Chinese. My mother-in-law is Japanese. Why not Japan? That's not where I want to send you. Well, you know, what about Korea? I got a bunch of Korean friends. That's not where, I don't even know any Chinese. I didn't go to China because I had burden for the Chinese. I went to China because Jesus told me to go to China. That's why I stay in China. Not because I love the Chinese. I do love the Chinese. But my love for the Chinese would die like that if I quit loving Jesus. But when I keep my eyes on Jesus, it changes my perspective. I'll give you one simple example. Driving down a six-lane highway, there's a man on a three-wheel bicycle piled up in styrofoam and plastic bottles because that's how he survives. But he's riding the bicycle down the middle of the six-lane road. Not to the side, but in the middle of it. And I'm driving my Toyota Highlander down the road, and then this stuff falls off the guy's bike. You know what I do when I'm not looking at Jesus? What a moron. What, I mean, doesn't the guy even have any sense of survival? What makes him think that he should be driving down the middle of the road? And you saw some of the traffic. The traffic up there, over there is horrendous. You know, we've, we've had over 100 years to develop our traffic system and go from 5-mile-an-hour cars to 80 or 90 or 100-mile-an-hour cars. When our, our, the man who owns our school had license plate number seven, I think, 20 years ago in the city of Wenzhou. There's, there's 8 million people in Wenzhou, and there's cars everywhere, but everything's designed for pedestrians. It's a mess. And the people drive their cars like they're pedestrians because they didn't grow up watching. And it can be, that is one of my, my greatest tests. I'm going to offer you my weakness. I'm going to confess to you my sin. My downfall is driving in China. And that's where God has used, I know this is stupid, it sounds real simple, but that's where God's really showed me my need to keep my eyes constantly, even in the little things, on him. Because, you know, when that guy dumps all that stuff in the road and blocks all the traffic and it gets backed up forever, you know, I'm thinking, what is the matter with that guy when it's only me? But then, you know, what happens to me afterwards is I'm like, oh man, I'm supposed to be here to reach people like that. What's the matter with me, God? I know I didn't want to do that. So I would go back and I'd say, God, you know, I'd have my quiet time in the morning. And I'd say, God, I promise you I'm going to be a better testimony today. But, you know, the problem is if I meet with God in the morning, I pray with him, I read my Bible. But then I say, okay, that is like a magic thing that will fix the day. No, you've got to walk with him throughout the day. It's not like you put in your time and then magically everything goes well. I had to learn that I got to keep my eyes on Jesus as I'm driving down the road. I got to look at these people through the eyes of Jesus. I got to remember Jesus. You know, we sang, I think it was Sunday night, something about the, the uh, uh, 
God of angel armies is always by my side. We like that when we're in a fight and we want him by our side. But you know what? He's by your side always. When you're cussing somebody on the road, he's there. But you don't think about it then because you don't want to think about it then. But when I started... (laughs) When I started focusing on Christ, you know, I couldn't get mad at a man like that. When that kind of thing happened, it was like, oh, that poor guy. This poor man, that's his transportation. I'm sitting in a Toyota Highlander with seven seats and air conditioning. And he's got a bicycle, and the way he survives is picking up garbage. How could I get mad at that man? And when he dumped his stuff, I just got to run out and say, I can I help you? But that's not me. That's not because I'm a good person. You already heard what I do. But that's how Jesus will change your life. The greatest thing you can do for missions is you keep your eyes on Jesus every day. You walk with God. You build your relationship with God because we won't need to talk you into giving the mission. Jesus was the first apostle. And apostle is just a biblical word for missionary. Somebody sent out. Jesus was the first missionary. That's his heart. He, gave, he came. He was sent by the Father. He came to this earth. Can you imagine what he would have thought about us? You know, people say, even Chinese will say, why would you come to China? We're all trying to go to America. And, you know, sometimes I used to say, because I love the people of China. But that's not always true. But that's a great opportunity for me to say, because I love Jesus and he loves you. Putting your eyes on Jesus is the best thing you can do for Jeremy Panera. It's the best thing you can do for Brother Capace and his wife. It's the best thing you can do for this church. It's the best thing you can do for you. Because you'll be filled with joy. And, you you know, you're supposed to give with a joyful heart. You won't have to work it up or pretend. Because when you see Jesus in everything that's happening, you'll just be overflowing. When he fills you up with love, when he gives love to you and gives you mercy and grace every day, you'll just be overflowing with it for others. You won't have to make your, oh, it's time to give again. Man, but I wanted to get that Xbox game. You'll be thinking, how could I spend it on an Xbox game? Not because somebody is in need somewhere. I mean, there's a need right there in Vanuatu with all the refugees coming in from those islands. But that motivation will only last for a little while because we're selfish. And you'll start to feel like, well, I need it too. But if you remember, Jesus deserves one day, like it says in the book of Revelation, to have people from every tongue, every nation praising him. That's why we need to give, because of him. That's why some of you need to go, because of him. Thank you, Brother Casey. This is the music that the first missionaries to Vanuatu in the early 1800s would have heard as they stepped off their boat. Missionaries like John Williams, who later wrote, A missionary was never designed by Jesus Christ to gather a congregation of 100 or 200 natives and sit down at his ease, as content as if every sinner was converted, while thousands around him and but a few miles off are eating each other's flesh and drinking each other's blood, living and dying without the gospel. 
For my own part, I cannot content myself within the narrow limits of a single reef. John Williams became Vanuatu's first martyr for the cause of Christ. This is the music that greets us as we endeavor to reach the jungles of Vanuatu with the light of the gospel. Hi, do you remember being in Sunday school and hearing stories of jungle missionaries hiking for days on end to reach small primitive villages to give them the light of the gospel? We're the Paneros. We've had the privilege of serving God on the island nations of Vanuatu since 2008. And during this time, we have got to experience what it's like to be jungle missionaries hiking and reaching unreached people groups for Christ. My wife and I both had the unique privilege of growing up in missionary homes. We have four beautiful daughters that God has given us. Nick, Nicole, Naomi, and Abigail. They know Vanuatu as home, having grown up there. We all speak the local dialect called Bishlama, and I also speak French, which has enabled me to have a greater impact serving in Vanuatu. 275,000 people placed on about 83 islands in the middle of the South Pacific. We have cyclones, we have volcanoes, earthquakes on a regular basis, and jungle people who are still living in their primitive ways today. To try to help you understand the ministry that God has placed us in Vanuatu, I'll break it down into three parts for you. Lukeville Baptist Church. This was a church that my dad formerly started and we had the privilege of assisting in since 2008. <laughs> okay, here we are in Luganville. And uh, Pastor Jeremy, go ahead and tell us where we are and what's yeah, happening. We are officially standing on the future side of Luganville Baptist Church. I'm standing with Pastor Visan, that is the pastor of Luganville Baptist Church. And uh, he actually built all the bricks that you see on this building as you, as you take a look around in a second here. And um, just last week, uh, the church was able to raise, what was it, $124,000. So about $1,500 uh, US uh, to be able to get the timber to put the roof on. Pastor, uh, how many do you expect will be able to sit in the auditorium? Over about uh, 100. Over. over 100? Yes, over 100. During that time, Pastor Visan stepped down as a retired pastor, and I stepped in as the pastor of Luganville. This church has become a vibrant and strong church that has been able to support jungle missionaries, Pastor Abraham, Pastor Sylvain, and Pastor John Orley, who I all had a privilege of training and ordaining, who are now serving and reaching further and further into the jungle. From Luganville Baptist Church, we head into the jungle in an area that we call Big Bay of Santo. Here we work with a man named Pastor Gabby that God has gifted with a real heart to see his people reach with the light of the gospel. We hike anywhere from brisk half an hour hike to five to six days of crossing flooded rivers and climbing up the side of cliffs. God has enabled 12 local churches to start in this area of Big Bay over the last year, few years. Pastor Gabby has a tremendous heart to be able to see his people in the area of Big Bay reached with the light of the gospel. 
He has started, and we have been able to assist him in this, a small Bible college which trains up men and women to go further into the jungle in teaching people about the Word of God. From the island of Santo, we are also involved in reaching other islands, like the island of Goa, where we've seen a small church in the village of Durick start up, and another church start up from there. God is truly working in the midst of Vanuatu. Obviously, being in the jungle as a missionary is not a solo effort, but it's a team effort, as my family serves alongside me. Liz has been educating the children, working within... Uh, the medical side of our ministries, but also working with the women's ministries. You see, in Vanuatu, there is a huge segregation between the men and the women. And Liz, my wife, has been able to get alongside these women, sit in their huts, work in their kitchens, and share with them the light of the gospel. Behind me, you can see, is the base or headquarters for Reach Vanuatu. Reach Vanuatu is a group of missionary uh, team that God has uh, been able to put together over the years here serving in Vanuatu and uh, from this site uh, we have translators that head out into the jungle who are translating the word of God. Uh, we have uh, other church planting missionaries. Uh, we have uh, a single people that come here and volunteer uh, between three months to a year just to serve in whatever ministry and capacity uh, that God has, uh, has gifted them with. And uh, this also is where we host uh, a lot of teams, church teams and building teams and uh, medical teams that come into Vanuatu. They get housed from here. And then from here, we head out to the communities and uh, we not only just tell people about Jesus' love, but we show people about Jesus' love in, uh, through helping them wherever we can. Although there's a lot of excitement in seeing people reach for Christ, it is not without its sacrifices. Our children have all had malaria numerous times. Our second daughter, Nicole, has had some huge major problems with her ears as a result of tropical ear and glue ear and, and not having the, the facilities, medical facilities to properly care for her. My wife almost passed away from an unknown disease in the early stages of our ministry. We've had shipwrecks, we've had major cyclones hit our islands and wipe out foods and everything. But in spite of all this, as we think of what God has done in Vanuatu, we cannot but praise him and thank him for giving us the privilege of serving there and giving us the privilege of representing you as you support us to go to Vanuatu. You know, serving as a missionary is a partnership. And as you think about these villages, as you see these faces on this video, I hope that you know that this isn't just us, but this is you partnering with us to reach these people. Thank you for supporting us and for praying for us to be able to reach these people with the light of the gospel. As we head back to Vanuatu, we are looking forward to seeing what God will do with us and you as we reach Vanuatu for Christ.
Hopefully that uh, answers a few questions for you in regards to uh, where we're serving and uh, what God has been able to do in Vanuatu. I remember in uh, uh, the early days of our ministry when uh, sort of first got there within the first uh, few weeks, uh, we headed up to the west coast of our island and uh, we were there at a, a village. There was a church function. They killed some pigs. It was going to be a big feast and we could uh, smell the food cooking and uh, somebody had died on a, in a nearby village. Uh, sort of across uh, the valley, and uh, the pastor that was we were there with, he said, I need, I need to go and do the funeral. Does anybody want to come uh, with me? And of course, I was eager and excited. I just arrived on the mission field, and I'm like, yes, 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 I, I'll come with you. Uh, you know, forget the food, let's go. And uh, I said, how far is it? He said, oh, it's just over on the other side of the valley. Anyway, about two and a half hours later, uh, we made it uh, after hiking down this valley across rivers and up the side of another mountain. Uh, to this uh, funeral, and there were people from all sorts of different villages, and this really old, frail lady had passed away. She actually wasn't wearing any uh, clothes as to what we would consider clothes. She was just wearing leaves uh, that were tied up with a, with a sort of a, a vine around her waist, uh, which tells me that she was from the deep jungle, and uh, her frail body was laying there, and they were about to bury her, and uh, uh, they do a, a strange thing in the custom in certain places. I didn't tell the team this, I don't think, uh, where they bury uh, people in the houses. Uh, so uh, when you're sleeping uh, on the dirt floor in huts, a lot of times you're actually sleeping on top of bodies, uh, you know, and that's why I don't watch horror movies, you know, ah, you know something coming out of the ground. Uh, you don't want to get those images in your mind. And uh, they were going to bury this lady in this house, and um, there was one thing that sort of jumped out to me. Uh, in that moment. Here was this old lady who had never worn clothes, who had actually had a bone through her nose, uh, had grown up in custom and tradition, uh, probably had never seen a truck, would not even be able to imagine, uh, I mean, the size of this building or the lighting or this, you know, thing that's shooting up here and that, and even this thing that's on my ear. Uh, wouldn't be able to understand any of that or wouldn't have been even know how to read or write. But here's the thing. As she was getting buried... She was getting buried with exactly the same amount of stuff you're going to get buried with. And so really, in light of eternity, it didn't really matter the stuff and everything that she had or she didn't have. And it sort of hit me, being up in the jungle there, that that was the life that she was given. And sometimes we sort of look around and we think about what we've been blessed with. And, and uh, I know America in particular, my wife is American. Uh, you guys, you know, talk about bless America and pray for America and the most blessed. Uh, do you believe you're in the most blessed country in the world? Do you believe that? Oh, man, that's kind of poor. Do you guys believe you're in the most blessed country in the world? Okay. Good. Excellent. Excellent. So you've been privileged. You've been honored to be born into America. Uh, you didn't make a choice in that. Uh, God chose to do that in your life. And uh, the thing is, it doesn't matter where we're born, uh, what we have, uh, what we've been given, uh, what, we've been, uh, what we've been blessed with. At the end of the day, when we leave this earth, we leave with exactly the same amount of stuff as this jungle lady in the middle of the jungle with nothing. And so really the question we ought to ask ourselves uh, is uh, why, why, why do we give? Uh, why, why do we do this? Well, I want to just quickly jump through a few people in the Bible so you can get sort of the idea of what I'm talking about. The first person I want to talk about is Esther. Uh, hopefully you know the story of Esther, uh, this uh, a servant girl who was Jewish and uh, things happened in the kingdom to where the king uh, got rid of his queen and then uh, they brought all of the women before him and Esther is brought before the king 
First thing, I mean, a girl's dream to, you know, win beauty pageant of the world. That's the first thing. Uh, not only was, did she win the beauty pageant, but she didn't have to uh, put on the special jewelry and everything. She just came plain Jane and, and uh, she got the king's heart there. And uh, she wins that. And then also she becomes the queen of uh, the known world. Uh, in Exodus uh, chapter uh, 2 and verses 7, it tells us, And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she attained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. She is the queen of the known world. I mean, that's better than winning uh, lotto or whatever it is that you, that you think that you could obtain or, uh, you know, marrying a superstar or, uh, you know, uh, marrying someone like LeBron James or something like that. That is, that is, I mean, you're the queen of the known world. She's gone from rags to riches. Hollywood loves those stories. They're all through the Bible. They stole it from the Bible. Uh, you know, she goes from rags to riches. And uh, here she is. She has all of these things. And very easily, the temptation could have been to just be blessed and to just enjoy the things that God had given her and to not ask the question, why has God placed me in this position? I want to show you another, pe- another group of people in the Bible in Exodus chapter 12 and uh, verses 35 and 36. You have the story of the children of Israel uh, that are about to leave Egypt. And just before they leave Egypt, there's something really interesting that takes place. Uh, The Bible tells us, And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver, jewels of gold, and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. I mean, when they went to the houses, whatever they asked of the Egyptians, the Egyptians would give it to them. I mean, they were the servants. They knew what was the most precious thing. They probably got whipped a few times for not cleaning it right or for knocking it over. They knew what the most precious items in the Egyptians' household were. And when they came and said, hey, I want that, they were going to give it to them. I mean, that's the kind of shopping trip I want to be a part of. You know, know what, brother, just go into that shop and whatever you want, we're going to give it to you. Oh, man. I mean, that's that that would be a dream come true. But here's the thing. They're heading into the wilderness, uh, it's kind of like going to the jungle. People ask me, Mr. Panera, should I bring my wallet? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, there's, uh, there's you know, a Wawa or a Walmart or whatever up there. You know, we'll be able to stop in there and grab some stuff. I'm like, no, you don't need to bring your wallet. There's nothing up there. It's jungle. Uh, I had one, uh, one church team call me up and they said, we've been looking for places for reservations in Big Bay. We can't seem to find anything. Uh, and I'm like, well, you know, keep looking. Uh, maybe in 20 years' time, you'll find something there. But right now, there is nothing up there. And uh, here they are heading into the wilderness. Think about it. With all of these treasure, gold. I mean, they're, they're probably carrying a cart, and there's a big old thing of gold in there that's heavy and, uh, and bulky. And they're heading into the wilderness with it. They don't know where they're going. They're just following Moses. They head out there and, uh, you know, uh, Billy Bob's probably like, Dad, why are we bringing the grand piano? I don't know. God told us. Let's just take that thing. We're just going with it. And they take all of these things uh, into the wilderness. God gave it to them. They didn't do anything to receive it. They didn't do anything to deserve it. And very easily the question or, or they could have just sort of lived in that, wow, look at what God has given us. If we know the story of Esther in, in Esther chapter 4 and verses 13 and 14, as it leads through to the story, uh, you know that the enemy was, there was an enemy that wanted to kill the children of Israel, and Esther was in a position that she could do something about it. And uh, Mordecai, her uncle, approached her and says, Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape 
in the king's household more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then there shall enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's household shall be destroyed. And who knows whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. It's kind of more of a statement than a question. Like, oh, maybe, maybe it's kind of, yeah, it's pretty obvious that God has placed you here for this particular purpose, for this particular time. Uh, Esther, God has blessed you beyond all other women in the known world for a purpose, for a reason. Now, Esther could have very easily be tempted to say, but I like this. I like all this stuff that God's given me. I, I'm just enjoying this. And, you know, it, God gave it to me. I can enjoy this. And yes, you can. And Mordecai says, and if you don't do anything, you know what? It's okay. God will find another means. God will find a, another way to accomplish his will. Uh, but, uh, but I think, I think you've been placed here for such a time as this. And, uh, you know, you know the story. And if you don't, go and read Esther during your quiet time and you can figure out what happened. Uh, you have a look at uh, the children of Israel. They're heading into the wilderness. They're carrying all this stuff. They're whipping the, you know, the camel or whatever it is. And they're carrying all these gold and jewels and everything. And um, you read, you, I mean, you go a long way, 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 way into chapter 25. And uh, Moses has just gone up in the mountain. He spent uh, 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, and uh, he comes down and he calls all the children of Israel together. And in uh, chapter 25, it tells us, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying... He's going to tell him what God told him. Imagine this. I mean, you all gather. Pastors actually met with God. He's received a message from God. Now he's going to tell you what it is. And he stands up here and he says, God told me. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. This is genuine. This is real. God told me, take up an offering. You would be like, hang on a second. This sounds like a bit of a televangelist kind of thing. Like, what in the world? Come on, really? That's what God... You were up there for 40... He told you to take, come on, Moses, really? Well, that's what really actually happened. Now, speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering. What was the purpose of this offering that they were taking up? The purpose of the offering that they were taking up, we see in Exodus chapter 25 and verses 8, it tells us, and let them make a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. Here's what you get to be a part of. You get to give to be a part of the sanctuary. To be a part of the Ark of the Covenant. The presence of God is now going to dwell with the children of Israel. Everywhere they go, the presence of God is going to go with them because their willingness to give to be a part of this sanctuary. Now you think about it, when God asked that, very easily, and if God was you and me, he would have said, Hey, remember I gave you all that stuff? Give it back. That's the reason I gave it to you. There was a purpose. There was a reason. There's always a reason. God has a plan. Uh, and give it back. But God doesn't do that. God turns around and we have a look at, uh, at Exodus uh, chapter 25. And uh, it tells us in, and, uh, in verses 2, this is, he says, Speak unto Israel that they bring me an offering. How? Of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. Hang on a second. We were slaves. We didn't have anything. God gave it all to us. But Moses turns around and says, this is God's condition. We heard about this on uh, Sunday night. He says, of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. What were they giving towards? We have a look again. They were giving towards the Ark of the Covenant. 
and that they make a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. God is now going to dwell among them. That's a project that you would want to get behind. Now, when we jump into the New Testament and uh, we think about this idea, the presence of God, where is the presence of God now dwelling in the New Testament? Uh, Jesus met a woman at the well and and told her, man, you you don't understand what's about to happen. But pretty soon, God's presence isn't going to be in this box in a temple. Where's God's presence going to be? In our hearts. That the living God uh, would live within our hearts. What a mind-boggling idea. Something that you can't even fathom as you sort of think through that. And uh, that that was going to take place. And uh, missions is really about us taking the presence of God that dwells in us and taking it to other people across the nation and saying, Hey, the presence of God wants to dwell in your heart as well. The presence of God wants to dwell in your heart as well. And uh, so really, uh, in sort of a roundabout way, looking at the children of Israel, God had blessed them. They didn't do anything to receive that. And now God turns around and says, hey, I I want you to give this so that the presence of God might dwell with you, children of Israel. Now we find ourselves in the New Testament and we know that we didn't do anything. We didn't choose where we would be born, whether we'd be born in China or or in Vanuatu. And it's kind of neat that you guys spoke first because the Chinese run my country. Uh, So, you know, you guys sort of went first and now here comes Vanuatu. Uh, If you come to Vanuatu, you'll know what I mean by that. We have Wong Sing Sing and the Wong Store and Lo Chan Moon and all those guys there. Uh, They're great. They're great. I I like them. I don't speak Chinese, but, uh, you know, I I like them. They change our money. They do some really good things. Uh, But the presence of God going to China, the presence of God going to Vanuatu, the presence of God going to Africa. We didn't choose where we would be born. We didn't do anything to receive all the things that we have. And now Jesus turns around and says, Gospel Light Baptist Church, uh, I want you guys to give so the presence of God might dwell in other people's hearts. The presence of God might dwell elsewhere. And I love this because the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, right? Yeah, I hope you understand that. Uh, although sometimes you're kind of like, Old Testament, man, it just kind of seems angry and there's all these sort of things happening. And, and uh, New Testament, man, it's all love and everything. And you don't understand, okay, there's a little thing that happens called Jesus. Now we're under grace. Otherwise, we'd still be in this sort of scenario here. And so we thank Christ for his grace. And uh, here's the thing, same God. And you look at that verse, have a look with me uh, in Exodus. We'll flick the screen here. Speaking to children, they bring me over of every man that giveth willingly. Then you jump over into the New Testament, and man, this sounds like exactly the same verse. Every man according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Missions is not something that we do grudgingly, but it's something that we do willingly. I don't know about you, but if I was in the Old Testament and Moses just explained the project, man, I'd be excited. I'd be going, man, I want to I get on board. I don't want to miss out on being able to say, hey, we got to give towards that. We got to be a part of that. If you were Esther and you look at her story, you would say, man, I, I want to be a part of, of, of being a part of what God was already going to do with or without me. And God turns around and says, hey, I want you to be a part of it, but I want you to want it. And if you don't, that's okay. I'm going to find someone else. I'm going to, there's, there's going to be help that's going to come from, from elsewhere. 
because it's God's plan and he's asking us to be a part of it. I just want to very quickly show you a few people and explain to you that missions is about people. It's not about missionaries, although a lot of times it becomes about missionaries. It really becomes about us. And, uh, you know, if, if uh, something happens to me and uh, I fail in ministry, we go, oh, man, pastor, we invested all that money. Do you know how much money we gave to that guy? You know how many years he was on the mission field? And it really shows us that we didn't really understand what missions was about. Because missions, with or without the missionary, if he's gone, it's the, the, the mission has already been accomplished in the fact that the presence of God now dwells in their heart and can never be removed. Uh, the mission has gone on already. And you think about Pastor Gabby. This guy was born in the jungle. Uh, his four older siblings all died before the age of five. And their family moved to a witch doctor's village, wore a loincloth. If he removes his shirts, he's got scars all over his stomach where he was bled every single day so that he would not die like his siblings had died. The witch doctor actually wanted to train him to be what they call a soul-eating witch doctor, which is a witch doctor that kills other people, but they don't have a very long life expectancy. So his dad said, no, I don't want that for my son. I want him to live to be old. And the witch doctor said, think of the great power he will have. And uh, his dad said, no, I, no I, don't, I don't want that for my son. Later on, as Pastor Gabby became a youth, and when he first, he went, was one of the first people in his village to go to school, heard the gospel for the first time, and came forward, received Christ as his personal savior. Now the presence of God dwells in his heart. Before that witch doctor passed away, who had bled him and had, had kept him you know, alive in, in, in jungle medicine and that, Pastor Gabby had an opportunity to witness to him. And uh, he received Christ as his personal savior. And uh, now the presence of God not only dwells in his heart, but it dwells within the heart of his family and within the heart of his village and the people that he's trying to reach. You ever look at someone that I talked about uh, on uh, Sunday, Richard, that's the guy standing with the big flowers beside me. Uh, that's Richard from our story. Now the presence of God now dwells in his heart because someone gave so that someone could go to another country and preach the gospel. You ever look at another person here, this is his dad, this is Chief Andrew. He actually brought me this food and said this was his first tithe and offering after he had gotten saved. i uh, never had someone do that before. And, and uh, now the presence of God dwells in his heart and within, within uh, the family and the village that uh, God's been able to reach through there. Uh, then we see another person here. This is uh, uh, Chief Bruno, the chief that you prayed. And, and uh, he actually, his, his, uh, his dad had 12 wives. 12 wives, they're all bad because they didn't give him any children. He didn't figure out that he was the problem. Uh, but uh, from the 12 wives, he had two children. And um, one day he said, you know what, we want the gospel. So he walked into town to what the first thing he thought was a church. It was a Catholic building. And he walked in and he said, we want the gospel. We don't want to be in darkness anymore. And they put a church up in his village and they brought him to one location and they started uh, teaching him. And before the father died... He grabbed Bruno, he pulled him in close, and he said, Bruno, he said, we are in more darkness now than when we were in the jungle without the church. Keep looking. We haven't found the light yet. And a few years later, with a missions team, we were able to go there with some pastors and stuff and preach the gospel. Bruno standing there with a big smile on his face, just going, I found it. I found it. I found what my dad was looking for. Now the presence of God dwells in his heart, and he's got like 12 kids. His sister's got like 12 kids. They're trying to make up for it. And uh, the presence of God now dwells in their heart as well. You have a look at another person here, Pastor Abraham. 
Now, this guy's a larrikin, a funny guy. Uh, they uh, have dances in the jungle, but it's, it's not mixed. There's no mix. women dance and the men dance over here. Uh, he's the only person in the jungle who ever dressed as a woman so he could dance in the women's section. Uh, when the chiefs found out, they chased him for three days. He went and hid in the jungle. Um, just one of those guys, and, uh, and uh, through Bible school and through the work of the gospel, uh, Pastor Abraham came to the knowledge of, of, of the gospel, and now the presence of God dwells in his heart, completely undeniable with the smile that he has on his face. Now, he's one of our missionaries. He's reaching further into the jungle. He started two ministries uh, and getting the gospel to those people. You have this other man named Pastor Sylvain. Uh, he was like the hitman of the village. If you broke any laws, he was the one that would come after you. They do a special ceremony, so uh, legally you can't touch him. He actually is able to get a big stick and beat you with it. Uh, a real scary guy. And uh, he came along to Bible school, got saved, and now is one of our strongest soul winners in the jungle. Recently, about a year ago, he almost died from appendicitis. He had a complete worry look on his face. And one of the other pastors said, Sylvain, why are you so worried? Your face looks so concerned. You're going to heaven. And he said, because if I die, who will take the gospel to my people? I, I, he said, I said, I, I want to go to heaven. Uh, but, but there's still so much work to do here. A man who truly has a heart to be able to reach other people with the gospel. Uh, you have a look at, uh, I'll get, I've got to have a woman in this story, of course, okay? It's not just men. Uh, Valerie, who's off, off on the side there, uh, she'd been coming to our church for about five years. Every single prayer request was, please pray for my husband. I want my husband to come to church. I want my husband to get saved. And finally, we had an opportunity to invite him to dinner. Uh, just after uh, Ollie had received Christ as his personal savior, we took that photo and, uh, and God, now the presence of God dwells in his heart. And then now that's opened their whole entire community. Uh, every mid, during the midweek, we have a, a small uh, study group uh, in the place where they live. And you'll see this in this photo. It's getting bigger and bigger and more and more people are coming along. And uh, the gospel is getting out to those people as well. And we'll go to the last picture here. This is what's happening in Vanuatu right now. This is what I'm going back to on Thursday. Uh, there was this beautiful lake that tourists would go and take photos of, uh, which out of nowhere, a volcano started coming out of it. Uh, and the volcano started erupting. Uh, scientists and everyone got very concerned that this would explode and, and rip the whole entire island apart. They evacuated 11,000 people off the island. Uh, Sunday afternoon, they approached me. Sunday night at 6 o'clock, we had 400 people uh, sitting on our, on our church property. We cleared out all the benches. Uh, people are sleeping in, 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 our, in our buildings. People are sleeping in our Sunday school area. We've set up tents. We've dug five new toilets because you can do that over there. And you just dig a pit and that's a new toilet there. And uh, you say, well, what, what are you doing? Why are you housing all these people? You're not a refugee compound. You're not a, well, you know what? God has brought these people to our doorstep so that the presence of God might dwell with them. Uh, since they've arrived on our campsite, which was three weeks ago, uh, there's been about 80 people that have made professions of faith. And uh, when I get back on Sunday, I get back Sunday morning, 8 o'clock, after flying for like six different flights and I don't know how many hours, uh, I get to go straight to church and preach. And uh, after our Sunday morning service, I've been told that uh, three of the chiefs from these villages that are living on our church property want to talk to us about the possibility of us planting churches uh, in their villages and, and getting some works out there. You know, what is missions? Missions is the presence of God dwelling in people's hearts. And God turns around and says, hey, I want you guys to be part of this. If you don't, that's fine. I'm going to find other means. I mean, God owns everything. But he turns around and says, I've blessed you. And it might be for a particular time in history 
like right now, to be able to get the gospel out. I mean, China, soon to overtake us, probably already have, when it comes to missions and getting the gospel out. And uh, we live in Australia and America, uh, some of the richest countries in the world. One of the greatest capacities that we have is to release funds into the world to be able to get the gospel out. But what for? So the presence of God might dwell in the hearts of people here and around the nation. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, just thank you for this opportunity tonight, dear Lord.